0: Content Lab. The weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's Content Strategist. Man, I have got to tell you guys, I am feeling pretty pretty good this morning. Um, I wish I could say it was for some amazing work thing, but real talk, I am on vacation this week. A much needed long overdue vacation and i'm not going anywhere it's not one of those family trips masquerading as a vacation i am staying at home this week and it's awesome like today i plan to drop off my dry cleaning and do grocery shopping and probably spend money i don't need to spend at home goods because i'm a woman living on the edge my friends but here's the funny thing about vacation, and I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I always tell myself I'm going to sleep and relax, but I have been up before 8 o'clock the past three mornings in a row, and maybe I'm just effective. I don't know what it is. When I was a teenager, I could sleep until like 1 o'clock in the afternoon without blinking an eye, and now I'm just, I am physically incapable of it. Uh, But anyway, this week, not important. Last week, however, was Impact Live, our two-day educational networking event for uh, marketing and sales leaders in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, I get it. It's our own event, so I may be a little bit biased in saying this, but seriously, it was super, super awesome. If you want to learn more about 2019, it's coming up, obviously, next year. You can do so at impactbnd.com forward slash live. Uh, I learned a lot in those two days. I met so many fascinating and brilliant people in our industry. But the cool thing is I also actually had a chance to speak about pillar content and I wasn't booed off stage. So guess what guys, I'm taking that as one for the win column. But me speaking is actually what leads me into today's discussion because we're not actually talking about pillar content. Instead, I invited Tamson Webster, who is the former executive producer of TEDx Cambridge and also what some call, actually a lot of people call her, the Idea Whisperer, to join me on the podcast today to talk about the potency and power of spoken content. Not written, spoken. And yes, spoken content is a thing. It doesn't matter whether you're speaking in front of a large crowd or making a video for your website or you're hosting a webinar, you're engaging your audience with spoken content, which science has proven is one of the most effective methods of content delivery there is. But before I kick you guys over to that awesome conversation with Tamsen, uh, just a quick note that you actually don't need to stay tuned after the conversation for the one thing in the weekly awesome. As I am living that sweet, sweet, sweet vacation life, those segments will actually return next week. So without further ado, I give you my conversation with Tamson Webster. Hope you enjoy. Okay, so I am very, 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 very excited today to welcome Tamson Webster to the Content Lab podcast. Round of applause! Hello, Tamson. So, for the children at home, who are you? What do you do? Like long walks on the beach? Yes, no?
1: Uh, you know, I'd rather a uh, tour around a lake. Actually, I'm a lake person, not so much a beach person. Though I did grow up in Virginia Beach, but you wouldn't ever know that. I think to look at me, like I don't <laughs> look like a natural beach girl. Uh, who am I? Well, I, I one of my good friends called me an idea whisperer, and I still think that's probably one of the best ways to describe what I do. I help uh, people and organizations figure out uh, how to build the next big idea, which is always in various people and organizations. So um, that's what I do. I help uh, typically authors, speakers, content producers, entrepreneurs, who have a big idea that they're driven to get out there, figure out how to talk about it so the people that big idea serves hear about it, respond to it, and find it as irresistible as they do.
0: That's awesome. And you also do support with TEDx Cambridge, correct?
1: I did, yes. I, I retired as the executive producer last fall, but I did that for about four years and 10 events. And we had good success, I'm happy to say, getting some of our speakers promoted to TED.com. So we had five speakers get their videos promoted to TED.com. And of all the speakers I've worked with, uh, their total YouTube views are now over eight and a half million, which I'm pretty proud of. So
0: wow, you might know a little bit about the speaking thing,
1: huh? <laughs> uh, yes, it's kind of accidental. Uh I, I've been speaking myself usually as part of part of a job. So I spent uh 20 years in marketing. So I'm a recovering marketer. Um and for a good, you know, 10, 15 years of that, I was always speaking either on behalf of the organizations I was working with or the company I was working with, talking about what is it what it was that we were doing, usually so that other organizations could benefit from a similar approach. And so I ended up doing a lot of speaking that way and then learned a lot of lessons. Though I have to say I learned the most lessons about speaking and making ideas irresistible in my time as a Weight Watchers leader, which is a whole different story. And um, then when I had the opportunity to take all those lessons and apply it to TEDx Cambridge, it gave me an opportunity to reverse engineer the stuff that I had been doing intuitively so I could teach it to somebody else. And so, yeah, it, it turns out that this was an, an accidental skill, but uh, one that turns out I love, which I, I I am enjoy. I enjoy that that turned out all right. <laughs> so I, it, that
0: kind of leads nicely to what we're going to be talking about today. Because I had a chance. The reason why I used so many varies when I first opened up this conversation is I went to inbound two years ago. It was my second or third inbound. And one of my little gripes with inbound is that the track that usually surrounds the actual making of the sausage when it comes to content is not always super strong. And that was my first year after I had moved from a marketer role and just really fully embraced my editorial content strategy side. You know, that was my passion. That was what I wanted to do. So I got to the very last session on the very last day, and part of me almost just said, I'm just going to go to the train station. I'm not going to go. I'm not. I can't. I can't go home and have the last session just be the poop icing on.
1: No. My- it was the last session that, that year too, wasn't it? Yeah. That was, it was that was a brutal time slot that they put me in.
0: Oh my. They put me in that one last year. I But I tried to own it when I went on stage and said, hey, yes, at least now I'm the opener for John Cena. And I can put that. Away. There you go.
1: That is a good place to be.
0: But thank God I happen to be actually right around the corner from the room so I couldn't justify not going and I walked. (laughs) Uh, yeah I mean let's be honest if it had been 50 feet farther I don't know we might not be talking today but I walked in the room and I sat down for your talk which was speaking as the final frontier of content Mm -hmm. so the other reason I walked in that door is is that it was very selfish I made a bet with my boss that the night before the last day and said, I won't go to inbound the following year if I'm not speaking.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah.
0: And then I, and I'm and i like, so, okay, so I'm going to go see this. Uh, hopefully I'll learn something. And <laughs> I remember just as soon as you walked on stage, I was captivated. I was Aww. completely blown away. And not just because obviously you're a delightful person, you know, sparkling personality. <laughs> it, was, it was this idea that I hadn't really thought about, which gets to our core topic today, which is, I think, a lot of, especially marketers, they think about speaking as an opportunity, whether that's professional development or getting their ideas out there. But in that title, you said speaking is the last frontier of content. Hmm. So I wanted us to do a deep dive today in into why don't people really realize that, that speaking is a form of content creation and content dissemination. And what opportunities that presents for people.
1: Mm-hmm. It's such a meaty topic. I love it. You know, my first reaction as to why don't people consider it to be content is I think they're just blocking it as an option from their heads because I think so many people feel such a deep-seated fear of speaking in public. And so I think that, um, and, I, and I have figured out ways to solve for that because you know, that gets back to TEDx Cambridge where... The people who are on stage spreading their ideas there are not typically speakers. And in fact, the TEDx organization overall tells its organizers to kind of tread carefully when you're dealing with someone who is a professional or a paid speaker. They don't want that. We want people who are really so driven by the idea that they need to get it out there. So the thing is that it is true that people are terrified of public speaking. And it makes sense because... You know, as humans, we're pack animals, we are not designed to have the pack have its eyes towards us. We are designed to be, you know, have our eyes trained where the rest of the pack is also looking. So usually if we feel all those eyes on us, then something is terribly wrong. And there is something in our physiology and the way that our brains are still wired that still goes, oh, holy crap, what's going on here? And so I get it. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, the opportunity that speaking represents for getting in front of people, getting in front of the right people, getting in front of uh, uh, right people in a way that allows dimensionality to, to you, your message and all of that, that simply cannot be transferred in the, in the written word is an opportunity that I think for any kind of content creator that, that opportunity outweighs any kind of inherent fear that you might have of it. You know, one thing I point out is you know, I oftentimes talk with marketing and sales teams about speaking, and, and I do some workshops on that. And, you know, you talk to a salesperson and you say, Well, how long would it take you to get, you know, a 45 or an hour long meeting with 100, 200 qualified. Leads, you know, and the, their answers are like months. Like I don't even know if I could do that in a year. But that's exactly what happens when you're speaking at a conference where people self-select in your into your session, as you did into mine. That is somebody who is already qualifying themselves to hear your message, and you get forty-five minutes to an hour with them to answer their questions to to. Give the content, of course, but to give the content that isn't just the words. You know, it's people get a sense of your personality, they get a sense of how deeply you believe this. They they actually get you to they get to hear what you're all about, whether it's a product, a service, a company, or an idea, in human words, not SEO words. Like you get to talk to people, actually talk to them about the thing that you care about or the thing that your company cares about. And to me, just the ROI on being in a room of qualified people that self-select for your message, you couldn't even do that online, you know, and get the same kind of benefit from it. So, I mean, that's only one of many, many reasons why, uh, A, I think people block it, and but B, why I think the opportunity supersedes that, that discomfort of, of getting in front of a room of people and speaking.
0: Yeah, I think it comes down to just the the general confusion around what content actually is because when think people think of the word content it's I always think of words as kind of having a feeling or some sort of visual manifestation mm. and the word content is very flat it's one dimensional it's a word on a sheet of paper and mm. it, People tend to literally translate it that way. When they think of content creation, they're talking about, you know, blogs, eBooks, white papers, pillar content, you know, all of these different things that exist in a single dimension. When really what content is, is it's an incredibly versatile word that essentially says, I am going to tell a story. I am going to share an idea. I want to help someone solve a problem. I want to explain a big why. I want to teach them how to do something. Yeah. And then the mode, in terms of how you create that, is, is it can go anywhere. It could. It's this podcast. It can be a blog post. It can. Of course. Be standing in front of a stage on a stage in front of a bunch of people who are qualified and telling them your story, your why, that how to, mm-hmm. and it, that's one of the things I've noticed that people don't really break out of. They don't think about. Well, if the whole idea of inbound at its core is to get the right story and the right message in front of the right people at the right time, when you said that on stage, I remember just this this connection just lighting up in my brain going, this is the most guaranteed way to do that.
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. The 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 ability to convert. From those people is very very high if you've constructed that content that speaking content as well as you've constructed any other content that's designed to convert now that doesn't mean selling from the stage that doesn't mean pitching from the stage but but by developing a piece of content with the with the pre notion in your mind that after this I want people to be able to do X or Y or Z Um, and obviously I'm hopefully going to be the go-to person to help them do that. Then you have that opportunity to, to, to be successful, you know? And so, you know, the best question I can get after I speak and and after particularly that talk, you know, people said, do you teach other people how to do this? And that's exactly the question that I wanted people to ask. I didn't ever have to say it from the stage, but then people come up to me and say, can you tell, can you come to, Our company, can you speak to our company? Can you train our company on how to do this? Whether it's presentation skills or whether it's putting content together, I mean, this is the thing. Content, and it's such a great point that you bring up about it being kind of flat and it's a thing. But if you understand what's really involved in it, it is the transmission. It is the it is the media by which you transmit ideas. And that can be all sorts of things, but it's like you, you, we cannot get past, you know, you know, moving a concept or an idea from our heads into the heads of our clients, customers, audiences, et cetera. If we don't, if we don't go through that medium of content and you know, the thing is just, again, back to the way that humans are wired, there's so much more information that is, Transmitted and received when you are talking face to face with someone, um, even virtually. As you know, I know we're recording for audio, but you and I can see each other. Even that gives so much more information because you can see what my facial expression is. I can see yours. We can respond to that. Um, you can see that I flail with my hands a lot, um, but you see me on stage, so you knew that. As uh, a
0: fellow flailer, I'm okay. With so, so
1: good. Um, <laughs> But, you know, when you're physically in in somebody else's presence too, there's just so much more information that is transmitted and received that enriches whatever content you may have put together, enriches whatever you would have said in a way that just, I mean, dollar for dollar, word for word even, I don't think any other form of content can compete with you speaking face-to-face to other people. And so let me be clear that, you know, I, in the context, you know, the, the speaking isn't always, you know, speak to 200, 400, 700, 1,000 people in a room. I mean, lunch and learns, you know, that where you offer to go in to potential clients with something that's free to teach them about a thing, not to pitch and demo your product, but to help them understand a problem that they're facing, to help them understand a new way of seeing something that they're trying to achieve. And then, of course, those represent your your views, but it's not about you. Hey, can I come in and demo a product? It's, hey, can I talk to you about, um, you know, kind of an unusual way to think about differentiation for your audiences? You know, you're just like, hey, it's free. No, like, you know, all you do is provide lunch. I'll provide the content. And you do that but even a one to one sales message is a piece of spoken content and so even thinking through those not sales scripts i'm not talking about that that's important but but really thinking through how do we you know again not just what i not just what i'm trying to say but what is it that i want people to do afterwards is just is the key but that's the key of all content i just think you have a lot more you got arrows in your quiver when it's a when it's a spoken conversation than when it's just written.
0: Well, I mean, think about the way inbound has progressed. You know, and this is one of the things where I I am not a doctor scientist. I have zero science to back this up, but as a human being, I'm going to say a few gross generalizations and blanket statements. <laughs> I have this hypothesis about why why things like speaking, webinars, those personal, you know, luncheon and learns and things like that are so powerful. Because the reason why inbound has become so popular is because it has allowed the buyers to control more of the buying process for themselves. They're Mm -hmm. doing more and more of that research phase and they're becoming even more averse to putting themselves in front of a human being because they want, like, if they could buy the car without the human, they would do it. But here's the challenge there. Fundamentally, people trust people, people buy from people. The most long-lasting business relationships that are healthy tend to be relationship-based. So we've watched all these buyers essentially move to this strategy of making purchases and buying decisions, and they've removed human, the human element to a degree that has never been seen before. Yeah. So I think speaking and all of those other examples that you provided that I think are really great to keep in mind, is that it allows you to put yourself as a human being back in front of people, allowing Mm -hmm. them to see that you're not just this static blog post on a screen where they're in their head maybe going, well, are they trying to sell my product when they backlink to their own thing in here? Or, you know, that kind of goes away. They, you know, they, they see you as a person depending on your, depending on your presentation style, they might think, oh, they're funny, they're likable, they're like me, they'll, oh, they really get my problem, I understand that. That's my, that's my Dr. Scientist Liz analysis of the world.
1: And what you've (laughs) observed, you know, what you've observed experientially is, in fact, backed up by what research shows. So there's really interesting research out of, Um, her name is Susan Fisk's lab, and I, she was at Harvard. I'm not sure she still is. Um, but what, what her work has found over and over again is that you know, humans, face-to-face or whatever, what we're always assessing, first and foremost, and oftentimes pre-consciously, are two things. And those two things are capability, how able are you to do a thing that you say you can do? And second is intent. Why are you doing this thing? And and you're right. We're in a position where like consumers and buyers and just oh, humans, because you and I do it too. They're, you know, it's 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 only when we try to when we have our marketing hat on that we sed- suddenly feel like people will behave differently than we ourselves would behave in the same situation. Um, so right. I know. I call it the marketer's paradox because it's like if you didn't have your marketing hat on, would you do that?
0: That's my and favorite part. Like, people are like, what, th- what, are, what are people searching for?
1: I don't know. What are we searching for? For, exactly. Like, and how do you talk about it? Because that's how they talk about it. Um, so the, the thing is, is that we can assess via written word capability really, really well right? You can, you can, because you can gather up, you can, you know, look at, you know, Google zero moment of truth thing and all the 12 bajillion pieces of content that we're going to look at and analyze and whatever. And we're, we're looking for over and over again is capability. Does this do what I need it to do? Does it look right? But what I think is very difficult to, to, to extract from written content is intent. Are you going to be there for me? Do I like you? Do you share my beliefs and values? Do you really see the world the way that I do? And you can get a fair amount of that through the written word. But again, that oftentimes relies on people being extremely comfortable copywriters and frankly willing to break all the rules of written grammar Um, because it's very difficult to write like you speak. And yet when you write like you speak, people get a much better sense of your intent. So it's this intent piece that is why I completely agree with you that the reason why in-person events and, and those opportunities to, to finally be in front of people are so valuable and so popular and why they convert when they're done well is because people are finally able to get that last piece in their research puzzle of does it feel right to me? And ultimately that's the thing that we have to remember. It's we have to remember that we are not rational decision makers. We are rationalizing decision makers. We make a decision and then we go justify it. Frankly, that's what we're always trying to do. And we need and that 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 rationalizing is the kind of intellectual, rational capability assessment behind what was an initial kind of quick intent assessment. And what, what the rise of inbound and written content has done is essentially flipped that. We're like, well, we can figure out capability now really pretty easily, but we're desperate for intent. And so I think any individual, any company who understands the value of being able to communicate intent and to me, again, this comes back to it is spoken word is going to be way out in front of any organization or individual who's relying solely on written. So does this mean video is your friend? Absolutely. And so I do include video as part of what I mean by spoken content because it's it again, it just gives you that many more dimensions in which to really assess somebody. You get to see, you know anybody can write themselves to sound capable. But when you get them in front of a room or you see that, you know, or on a podcast like this where somebody turns on the microphone and now they're just talking, then you get to see whether or not they can survive without a script in front of them.
0: Exactly. They said they were a thought leader about this topic on their Twitter bio. Let's put
1: Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, that's, you know, and this is one of the things. So when I work with individuals who want to improve their speaking, you know, one of the biggest things I point out to people, most people are terrified not just of speaking, but particularly terrified of Q&A. You know, they're particularly terrified. And I said, no, 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 Q&A is your friend because Q&A shows people just how deep your knowledge is. And so, yes, all of this reveals a couple of things that have to be true. If your intent is not good, if in fact you are just trying to sell some crappy widget to people then speaking is probably not the thing that you want to do because people can suss out lack of good intent really, really quickly. We can tell kind of viscerally, like a physical reaction when someone is trying to sell something to us when we're still just interested in learning about it. Um, We can also suss out pretty quickly if you actually don't know that much about the thing that you say that you know about. And so that's why it's so important when you're thinking through you know, if you're considering speaking as as a content strategy, um, that you are focused on talking about things that you actually know a good deal about, and that you are passionate about talking about, because by the way, that's the best way to get over any initial shyness or discomfort about what you're talking about. Love what you're talking about. And it's a lot easier to get past anything else. Um, and make sure that you are finding the people who enjoy part of that process. Now, this might make you think, well, I'm an introvert, or I've got introverts on my team, like, I could never put them in front of a room. And I say, actually, that's not true. So because I, I traffic a lot in professional speakers, and I would have to tell you, it's a It is a significant portion, if not a majority of professional speakers, are actually offstage, deep, deep introverts. But they're so engaged in what they're trying to say when they're, you know, not on stage and in their quiet corners working on the stuff that they're working on, that in those moments – that they're on, like, it's just, it's so important for them to get that stuff out there that they're willing to kind of, that I like to call it situational extroversion. (laughs) So it's a a situational extrovert. Like I can turn it on. I can turn it on for something like this. I can turn it on for the stage, but otherwise, like I'm like quietly in my hole, like doing my stuff. Um, So don't discount that because they're going to be, pay attention to You know, if you're somebody who manages other people, pay attention to the people on your team who go deep because they may have in them a a desire to go deep with other people. And that's a really great thing. The second thing is even if you're thinking about it for yourself, think about what are those topics that you can't not talk about? You know, what are the things that, you know, like whether it's at work or not, you're just like, and another thing and you just, it, it, those are the things that let you up or that get you really fired up because that's where you have passion combined with a distinct worldview, and that passion with a distinct worldview is kind of everything you need to not only satisfy the intent requirement we're talking about, but by the way, really show where your true differentiation lies between you and other people or other organizations who might otherwise be considered as kind of quote, unquote, doing the same thing as you do.
0: I would agree with that entirely. I used to do a lot of content coaching with clients and what they would do is essentially come to my virtual couch and for an hour we would talk. And by the end of it, we would have the recordings and the outlines for like three to four wonderful pieces of content if it was written or or something else. And I remember, I started to notice that the first time somebody would come to talk to me, they didn't know what to expect or they were nervous. And nine times out of 10, actually, I think that 10th dentist agreed. Never mind. (laughs) I I tried to actually think of an exception and I couldn't. Every single time somebody told me, I don't really have a story to tell. They,
1: everybody has a story to tell.
0: first, First of all, they end up, not only having story, a story to tell, they have multiple stories and they're often the best stories because people get in this, have this construct in their head again, of what content is supposed to be. What does brand Mm. storytelling actually look like? What is my story? How do I, they don't, they don't think about it in those ways. Yeah. Get back to your point on intent. Um, first of all, totally agree. I had the intent of buying a sweater this morning from old Navy, and guess what? Justified that decision and bought it. (laughs) (laughs) you're
1: like but I need it it's about to get cold
0: (laughs) my rationalization is getting ahead of the fall weather
1: that I am desperately waiting for well see there you go Uh, yeah see we can we can make anything sound right to ourselves oh yeah absolutely but there's one thing you said though
0: during that talk that really stuck out with me and it's not something that it doesn't just apply to speaking or, or spoken content as as you've put it I really like that term it's there's the intent of that searcher or that person who's clicking on your youtube video or coming to your talk they have this intent this goal this problem they're trying to solve this answer they're trying to get and i remember you said that violating the expectation of your audience is essentially one of the worst things you you can do in fact it is the worst thing you can do absolutely and i'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about that what does that mean to violate the expectation of your audience
1: Well, situation drives mindset, you know, where you are determines how you're seeing the world right now, which is going to determine what you do, because, you know, everything that I do in my work is based on that fact that how we see drives what we do. And so, you know, the thing is like, you're not Thinking about buying a sweater, if there isn't an email that comes from it, come in, comes in from Old Navy, or you're not driving by, right? Like it had to have been there. A situation was created in which you were aware of it. So this goes back to my days at Weight Watchers, where I'd be like, if you don't want to eat the pastry, don't go in the pastry shop. Like, because at the minute that you're in there, you're going to completely justify yourself. Well, well, I can do it this time, you know, because, well, I'm here, you know. And this was difficult for me because I live in Boston and I live in lived at the time in the North End area of Boston. Yeah, absolutely. So I was walking by it all the time and I was like, and then there's a point where you're just like, okay, it's just on my way. Uh, I can either choose to make it always a stop or go, it's just part of the scenery. So, you know. You, go, you won't buy if you don't shop. Now, back to mindset, because that's one side of it. But how you see drives what you do. So the thing is, we have to understand when we are speaking to people, when we are delivering spoken content, where, what are they looking for right now in that? Like, so you know, people are always, you know, how they see drives what they do. So the first thing you have to figure out is, well, what are they looking for? What are they trying to accomplish? And then we can figure out, okay, well, how are they currently looking for that? Now, when somebody goes to a conference, for instance, if it's not a user conference, now it's funny because HubSpot was a user conference once upon a time, but it really isn't, you know, it's not positioned as one anymore. And yes, there's a HubSpot, you know, intense track where you can in fact get the how to's and whatever. But by and large, it is a place to learn about marketing, content marketing, inbound marketing, and to connect, right? So, what are people looking for there? They're looking to learn. Now, and the minute you try to insert something else into that line of vision, it's, it, it is, it's, it, it really becomes offensive to that. Think about some, and we all have had this experience where you sit in a conference. You are there because the topic seemed interesting to you, and you wanted to learn. And then about two minutes in, you're like, oh, this is a pitch. Like everything this person is talking about is about trying to get me to, to buy this thing. And the thing is, like, the reason why it's the worst thing you can do, like if you try to sell while when someone is looking to learn, you know, when they're not, then what happens is they're still putting that learn lens on your selling. And what they've just learned is that you're a jackass, right? They, what they have just learned is that you don't respect what they're there for. What they have just learned is that you don't understand why they were there in the first place.
0: It's kind of like you know? somebody's giving you like, here, I'm going to give you an orange. Now have a lemon. They're both citrus. It's fine. It's no. It's no,
1: it's not. It's, it, it's a, it's a complete bait and switch and nobody likes to feel that way. You know, so it's back to that kind of marketer's paradox. It's just like, well, they, these people won't mind. I'm like, because our stuff is so awesome. Yes, they will mind. So the thing is like, what I'm, what I remain convinced about, cause I've seen it happen over and over again, is it well delivered a piece of spoken content that is designed to educate, that is that, that corresponds with that learning mindset that might people, people, that people might be in will on its own allow people to consider you first when they flip from learning to a buying mindset when they flip from a learning to doing mindset, and you know those really are the only two mindsets you need to think about i mean so Yes, there's however many stages of the consumer journey or however many levels in the marketing funnel. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, there's two mindsets. There's the learning mindset, awareness, consideration, right? And then there's doing, purchase, right? Post-purchase. That's when they actually want to say, well, what about you? How do you do that? But before that, they want to say, Okay, they want validation that what they're looking for makes sense. They're like, "Okay, I'm looking for this thing, is it possible? Does it make sense that I'm looking at? It? Okay, I'm trying to find this solution. I'm trying to differentiate myself in the marketplace." Let's say that's what they're looking for. "I'm trying to use content to use to get uh, to differentiate myself in the marketplace. Why isn't it working?" Okay, well, you can talk to them about that and what, what your point of view is on that. And it might be that you know, your point of view is that they're focusing so much on the channels that they're completely missing that they've got crap content flowing through them, right? It doesn't matter if you know all the whiz-bang features of Snapchat and Instagram and IGTV, uh, but if, if, if it's crap, it doesn't matter, right? Or you could be somebody who takes the opposite perspective. You know, as long as they're still trying to figuring out While they're still trying to figure out, well, what approach makes sense given what I know to be true or given what other people tell me, I'm really not, I'm not ready to be told about a specific product. Like I have to understand, you know, if it, how I can see better, that's what I'm trying to do in the learning mindset. And when I'm in the doing mindset, now I want to figure out how can I do something with that knowledge that I have better. So now that I know that the approach that I want to take is a more um, quality content focused approach, now I want to hear from people who are telling me about the different approaches that they take. And I'm still listening for capability and intent. Are you able to do this? Do I agree with your approach? So is it rooted in, 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 in values and truths that I myself believe? Yes, again, have you violated any of that? You're just, it's, you're not going to get them. Yeah. You're just not going to get them.
0: If you break it down, and like I said, the, the reason why this just, that was one of the things that stuck with me the most about violating the expectation of your audience, you, you've you broken it, it's over, is because yeah. if, if you strip that away, this is a, a, a principle that applies to all types of content, whether it's a blog title or a description that tells somebody this is what you're getting out of it, and then you give them something else or you do something that ultimately what you're doing either in your pitch, your talk description, your YouTube description or title or blog title or whatever is you are making a promise. You are saying to your audience, your reader, your watcher, I promise you, this is what you're going to get out of it. This is the question that I'm answering. This is the problem that we're solving. This is something for you. And then when they finally walk through that door, you're essentially not keeping your promise. You have now broken their trust. yeah. And that's the kind of thing where they may not consciously think about it. They might not say to themselves, well, now I do not trust this brand anymore. But it's the kind of thing. It's a death by paper cut situation.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Now you're eroding their confidence in you to deliver on what you say you're going to deliver.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the totally counterintuitive thing about great content, great content marketing, great messaging, great branding is that as much as it all relies on words, it is never about what you say. It's about what you do. And the thing is, like words are, are you know, as many of them as we have, they are still a really limited, but they're the only ones we have. They're a very limited means of capturing the totality of what something is and does over time through process, right? So, what you say is so true because if you have a title that says one thing and then the content says something else, you see at that point that the words don't even matter. The words don't even matter because what you did was screwed them. Right. And that's why it's so fascinating to me as much time as we spend on getting the words right. And it is important to get the words right. We have to actually focus on getting the actions right. And that goes and that starts well before any content strategy, any marketing strategy. That starts at the operating code, the operating system of the business. And if that business is you, of you to start with. And those are the things that are coming out unintentionally. There are these things that we send out called honest signals. We cannot control them. That, that's why they're called Honest signals. It's a great, great study out of uh, MIT Media Lab that did this. Uh, that's what your audience, your customers, your prospects are picking up are all those, those other things that are coming out from your operating code. Um, I call it the red thread. Um, they are not captured necessarily by words. Aspects of the, them can be captured. But you know, we have to think in a lot of ways about our content, whether it's spoken or written, as temporary sheets that we've thrown for just a little while over the invisible man that is the operating system of our company or of ourselves, you know, there a moment, you know, our words, our content is just in a, you know, for a particular situation, us capturing in this limited means of words what it is that we think, believe, how it is that we see the world, but how. Back to what I was saying before, how we see drives what we do, right? And so the thing is, like, you can get the words to sound good, but if they don't match up to how you see the world, if they don't actually capture that link between how you see and what you do, honestly and with integrity, it doesn't actually matter because ultimately it comes down to what you do. And for this, I would point out, you know, as examples, I point out to all those brands out there, and we can probably think of, you know, I have a couple on my head, and we could probably think of more, where they don't do any traditional content marketing or traditional branding, and yet they are, you know, you know hundreds of years old or you know, decades old they, and, and continue to be successful. You know, um, I like thinking, you know, one of my favorite examples of this is Lodge Cast Iron. You know, it's a, such a great story uh, about this company, but you know, they don't do traditional advertising. There's not a lot of content, but just about, you know, if you have a, if you have a cast iron pan in your house, it's probably Lodge, not guaranteed, but probably Lodge. Um, And why is that? Because they know the operating code of their system. Uh, They know the operating code of their business and they stay true to it. So what they do is, Consistent over time. Now, a company that I think actually understands their operating code and puts great words on it is 3M. So, if you want a business-to-business, then you talk about 3M. Though they do have consumer products as well. You know, their brand tagline, which I adore, by the way, is "Science Applied to Life." You know, and if you look at what 3M is, was, and has been, you know, it started as a you know kind of a Minnesota mining and some my manufacturing and mining company. You know, and So much of what we know now about 3M started because something failed way back in the beginning. And they realized that if they invested in research and and tech, that they could get out ahead of what other people were doing. And so their operating system from the very beginning was follow the mistakes. Like in in essence, mind the mistakes because in in those mistakes are where the future lies. You post-it notes famously were from a mistake. You know, so when they when they have this wonderful tagline like science applied to life, now you like it's just this wonderful, that is a time when I feel like the words and the code, the words in that red thread like completely align. And you know, if you, you know, I haven't had the opportunity to hear somebody from 3M speak, but you know, I would go on to assume that it's so baked into how they see the world that it's there all the time. But there is a company who I do know that those that operating system is, you know, present, captured in words and true whenever you speak to somebody from that company, um, at least in my experience. And that's Johnson & Johnson. So Johnson Johnson has been a client here and there over the years. You know, Johnson, uh, um, the founder of Johnson Johnson famously captured the operating code of Johnson Johnson in what's known as the credo. Um, the credo sits engraved in stone in the lobby of their New Jersey headquarters. Um, and, you know, the average tenure of somebody working for Johnson & Johnson is literally like two decades or more. But when you talk to people from Johnson & Johnson, they're not just parroting the key credo. They are, they, they talk about it in the words that make sense for them. You know, they, they figured out how to internalize the credo of the company and get it to match up with their own operating system. And what they speak about and what they do is this beautiful blending of the two. And to me, that's what you want to have happen. You want to have happen either internally with your own team or that blending that happens with your customers, what you're trying to find is let's get those codes to intersect. And what content is really just about is like, let's again, let's throw a sheet over this otherwise invisible intersection so that we can use shared language to capture shared worldview. And when you do that, then you've really done something magical with your business and with your clients.
0: That's when you get me to buy
1: the sweater. Thing. that's when you get it by i swear right because you know there's there's something consistent about you know old navy you know that 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 speaks to you you know i it's um you know, i live in a part of boston where there's a bunch of uh discount stores you know so there's old navy there's a gap outlet there's a forever 21 there's a marshall's a tj maxx there used to be an h&m um And I got to tell you, for no total, particularly rational, there's a Primark, particularly rational reason, like, I won't go to Forever 21. Like, I just won't. A, I'm not 21. Uh, But B, you know, what's interesting to me is, like, and I'm, like, it's not about sweatshops because, oh my goodness, there's no sustainably produced fabric in any of those, in any of those stores. But my problem with Forever 21 is this, is they have a really bad track record with copying design other designers designs like by taking it's essentially a copyrighted design like a, a, a dress or a print that a, a high-end designer has done and then remaking it without permission for for their own clients now some people may go say say well that's awesome because the original dress was five hundred dollars and i can get it for like 50 cents at forever 21 um, but i'm you know again back to how i see I believe in the sanctity of people's intellectual property, designers included. And so I just can't stomach the fact that Forever 21 copies other people's designs without credit or payment to them. And so I won't go to Forever 21. Now, that may seem like a really superficial reason to do it. But again, this is what drives what we do. Right? So it would take, a, and this is my deep-seated belief now about Forever 21, so it would take a lot of content marketing that doesn't just come from content, it comes from the operating code of the business to say, we are not doing this anymore, this is why we're not doing it anymore, and I would have to see that sustained over time before I would actually believe it. You know, so this is, this is where not just spoken content, but all content comes down to making sure that it accurately captures how you see, not just your why, but the why's behind your why. Because mm-hmm. there's a reason why your company does what it does in the way that it does it. So that's what we're trying to capture. And you know, to bring it all back to spoken content, you just, as counterintuitive as it seems, you don't have to work as hard to show all that when you're speaking to somebody. Because it, it just comes out in how you talk about it.
0: So let's say I'm Molly Margiter, and I've been listening to you, and I think you sound brilliant and wonderful, and all of this stuff sounds great, and I am terrified. I either have my first speaking engagement coming up that I've either been voluntold that I'm doing, or I speak <laughs> raise my hand to do, or I work at an organization where this all sounds great, but where do I start? What's one thing I can do tomorrow, no matter how small? To do, to, to do what we're talking about better, to put myself out there, to be a better storyteller in the way that we've been discussing today?
1: I think the first thing is to, is of you know, whatever you're charged with doing and speaking about is to find that intersection between it and you. Find the intersection between what, what you know, the product does or what it stands for and why you personally, as a human, not just as an employee or as a marketer, but why you actually care about it. Because if you're a marketer at some level, at least I hope you believe in the products or the services that you're marketing. And so I think one of the most important things you can do if you're thinking about developing spoken content is to find why you care about the thing you're being asked to speak about. Because if you can just articulate that to yourself and then to other people, then the audience will always forgive it because passion trumps polish every time. So figure out what you're passionate about in the message that you're being asked to deliver and know that when that passion comes through, anything else that you may be frightened about about like I don't seem to be really prepared you know I don't seem to be really polished or whatever the audience will forgive it because they will see the intent they will see the intent
0: I could literally sit here all day and talk to you (laughs) uh obviously (laughs) that won't happen because at some point I'll be like okay creepy lady it's time for me to go (laughs) so how can people like myself get in touch with you find you online on the internet see you in person, and doing awesome well
1: um you can uh, like my website's my best hub of all that information so tamsinwebster.com pretty straightforward uh on social platforms i'm on most of them uh, as Tamsin Webster, except for like my og twitter handle is tamadir back in the you know Back in the when you still used your AOL handle these, um, so it's Tamidier, Tams and Webster, um, and you know on my website particularly I have an opportunity to sign up for my newsletter, which is the best place to find out where I'm speaking, new events that I'm doing, and I am planning to do a one day kind of red thread of presenting, kind of you know one day session here in Boston where, um, talking about you know my method for putting spoken content together, um, so. Sign up for a newsletter. You'll be the first to hear about when that is. And my newsletter subscribers always get discounts that I don't put out to the, to the general public for those. So that's hopefully that's reason enough to check it out.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: And uh, we hope to catch up with you soon. I hope so. Thanks so much for having me speak about why speaking is so important.
0: I know. Right I felt very mad. Let's talk about talking. Let's speak about speaking. Let's talk about
1: talking. Speak about speaking. My kids think it's hysterical that I speak to people about speaking. About speaking.
0: <laughs> I write about writing and I blog yeah. about blogging. So I love yes. We're talking again. All right. Goodbye, everybody.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, everybody.